Today's episode of Board Gaming with Education is all about the board game convention PAX Unplugged. I go to the convention in Philadelphia and talk to different publishers, different attendees about board games or games and education. If you are an educator, do not miss out on this episode. It's a very, very awesome take on attending a board game convention as an educator and kind of really looking for different games that can be used in educational settings. We interview some awesome, awesome guests, some game designers, some publishers, some attendees, really great stuff coming up. If you are not an educator, but you're curious about that corner of the board game hobby, be sure to listen into this episode. You can hear about different companies and what they're doing with board games and education. Also hear about our perspective. I have Dave on the show from University XP. He was a really, really awesome mentor attending the convention. It was my first stateside convention, so I learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. Or maybe you're just curious about a PAX Unplugged. So in that case, definitely check out the show. So that is enough of an introduction. Let's get into the episode. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Before the convention, well not before, this is day two, but this is our first opportunity we've had a chance to sit down. I'm here with Dave Hang, and... He is my. Do we want to call you a sage? Uh, we'll sage. call you. We'll call me the, the convention roommate slash, uh, sage of conventions because this is, uh, probably over twenty conventions for me so far. But this is Dustin's first PAX unplugged, yes. so I've been trying to show him the ropes right now. Yeah, this is my first convention in the states, so mm-hmm. I'm really excited to be here, mm-hmm. and I'm. At this convention, as I guess a hobby gamer and an educator, so and a content producer too, and a content producer, yeah, that's, that's yeah. how I got my badge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we're gonna cover packs as um, kind of the lens of an educator, and kind of look at my experience and Dave's experience and what we kind of see when we go to a convention. And we're going to also talk to other people. Mm-hmm. We have one question we're gonna ask. What was that question? So the question we talked about before was, how would you define an educational game? Yeah, so we talked about that, um, and we kind of decided that maybe it would be fun to hear, but we also want to have a question that can be open to interpretation Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Mm -hmm. What did we do? What? Oh, name one educational game. Name right. one educational game. And yeah. why why you think it's an educational game. Mm-hmm. And that way uh, we can kind of expand the definition, too, of educational games. Yeah, because I think. I, I think a lot of people think that it's the definition is much narrower than it actually is. Right, right. And I know there's a a pretty negative connotation to educational game. That those games are very boring. and Yeah. Well, I mean, for the most part, it's because that they were produced by educators specifically, specifically for education, whereas you can have a really good game that is educational. Right. And that, I mean, that's what, and we've talked about this, we'd like to see more of a collaboration between the game design community and educators. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's a market for educational games that are... Definitely. 
engaging, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few companies, and we always talk about Genius Games. Yep, is one of them. Um, Engage Games is a newer one that mm-hmm. we interviewed um, on the show, and they had Element Poker. Yep, as well. Um, Jason, and I'm trying to think of some other ones. There's a uh, Filament Games based out of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, they're outside of the University of Wisconsin Madison. They don't do so much with tabletop games, more digital games. And then I have uh, contacts at Originality Media who produces educational games, but for corporate learning and development. And then my uh, I have a contact, Andy Yeoman, who's based out of the UK, who also works with educational tabletop games, but for specific industries like healthcare. Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, and then another one came to mind, Fort Circle. They were... We sponsored, or they sponsored our show not too recently, and they mm-hmm. did Shores of Tripoli, mm-hmm. and they're historical. There's a lot of history. Oh, yeah. A lot of history board games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of lot of companies, but I think that we can help to bridge that gap between education and game design a little bit, mm-hmm. make it a little bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. All right, so, yeah, I guess today, what's your, what's your focus day two? So day one's focus was to walk the expo hall. Uh, If you're listening and have never been to a convention before, usually for tabletop conventions, there is a a large play area with multiple tables. And then there's a large expo hall area, which is mostly vendors. And uh, for a specific multi-day convention like PAX Unplugged, um, the first day, usually Friday, is one of the best days to walk the expo hall because it is the least crowded. So my past experience tells me Friday is the day you walk the expo hall because Saturday will be a complete zoo. So Friday was expo hall day. Saturday is going to be very much about playing games and connecting with other colleagues that are going to be here. Right. So day one, we we did make it through the expo hall. I think it was about 5 p.m. when we finally, <laughs> we took our time walking through, but we yes. went up and down each aisle and yes. finally made it through. And I, it was really cool for, at least for me, like, because I've been to a couple conventions in Taiwan and mm-hmm. usually it's just Taiwanese publishers and a few like international publishers, mainly from Japan or Singapore. And the expo hall is, it can be, I mean, it was, it was pretty big for a Taiwan convention, mm-hmm. I think, but here it's just like, you can't even see the whole convention expo hall, I guess. Like no. you look across and you can't see the end almost. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like several football fields big. And I would say maybe about 12 or 15 rows long. But I, I use the term row loosely. It's not like a, it's not like the row or aisle at your supermarket. This is like um, maybe 2,000 or 3,000 feet long aisle. And there's 12 <laughs> or 15 of them. Right. So, and for me, it was cool to see like different publishers that I always see online mm-hmm. or even just people in the board game community online um, in person. And it was also awesome to keep my eyes peeled for educational content that mm-hmm. can be used in class. And we, we stopped by and talked to a couple people. Yeah, it was eavesdropping on one. It was for a game I had backed through Forbidden Games called Extraordinary Adventures Pirates. And uh, one of their volunteers was talking to someone at the booth and she was uh, discussing how she used some of her games with her students in an enrichment program. So I immediately connected her with Dustin. So Dustin, I believe you gave her your contact info. Yeah, thank you for that. (laughs) And then a second booth was, uh, there's a project called Blinks uh, based out of New York City. Uh, If you're not familiar with Blinks, 
it was this uh, tabletop digital emerging design concept where they have um, the game is actually six individual um, plastic hexes that uh, have uh, some technology packed in there. So some Bluetooth, some NFC technology, um, multicolored LEDs. And what's great about it is that they are all these uh, six different hexes, but they have games programmed in them. And some of the games are logic stri- uh, strategy games. Some of them are uh, dexterity games, but it kind of merges the field between uh, what can be a tabletop game and what is a digital game. And one of the people I connected Dustin with was one of their developers because they also released uh, a dev kit so that um, other designers and educators can begin playing around with the Blinks system in order to create their own games. Yeah, I think that's really cool. The coding aspect or programming aspect of that mm-hmm. is definitely something that will engage students, especially because they'll, the, they'll see the product of their work i guess Mm -hmm. when they're done right Mm -hmm. they'll see they'll actually see what they did and they can play the game that's really cool yeah uh, being able to close that feedback loop between students actions and their outcomes is really critical especially for experiential learning right awesome so that's it for the beginning of the episode we're going to get some interviews in i am a little under the weather i think they call it con crud (laughs) Con crud, but uh, what's interesting is that usually most people I go to cons with, you'll get the con crud day like two or three, sometimes <laughs> day four. Dustin got it day one, like two hours into it. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was a combination of uh, flying a red eye, um, walking around all day Friday, and it just generally being a lot different weather-wise than Southern California. Right. So it's yeah. very cold and dry here in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I, I just started a new position too. So that mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's been a lot of things, but I'm going to rest a little bit day two and then hopefully in the evening be good to go. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. All right. Well, stay tuned and we'll have some interviews coming up. All right, so I'm here with Austin. He's one half of the game design team, Dr. Wits. And they reached out to me on Twitter, so I'm really excited to be here. Or he was spending some time in the collaboratory room. Collaboratorium. Collaboratorium. It's a... I could talk for 20 minutes on that. Why do you start with that? Because the collaboratorium is being run by an organization called Unpub. And, but of course, for some reason, they can't put Unpub on the map. So if you tell people, oh, go to the Unpub room, they go, what? It's, I can't find it. It's like, oh, right, because it's the collaboratorium. Uh, okay, I was, I was yeah. actually a little confused about that, so that makes sense now. Um, so I, here, you're the first interview of the con, because I was a little sick yesterday. But uh, what, one question that we're asking everyone is, give me an example, or what is an educational game? Or give me an example of an educational game. So thinking back to my youth, I think the most educational game I played was Where in the USA is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> because at that time, the game came with an encyclopedia of, of the United States of America. And in order to advance in the game, you had to literally look things up and read through the entries in order to know where to go next. Right. Yeah, I remember we had a neighbor that had that game because I don't think it was Mac OS maybe or maybe we just didn't uh, have it. We had, a, we had a Windows. So yeah, I, I loved going over there to play it. <laughs> awesome. So where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Do you remember one thing you learned from that game specifically, like a location or? 
I it I would say it started a love of geography and okay. just like where, just understanding where things are in the world and the relationship to each other was I think a bigger impact than some of the specifics which get lost then over time. Yeah, I think for me that was risk. I learned a lot of different countries with risk. All right, so you're working on a game and you also have a game with Button Shy. Would you mind maybe giving our listeners a chance to know what you're doing? So this is so uh, we have a game with Button Shy called You Fool. It's a three or four player game that plays in like ten minutes, and it's a it's an it's an information game. So the idea is that every player is a um, is a clown coming out of a clown car trying to form the world's smallest human pyramid, which is three people. And of course, the idea is you don't want to be the fool. You don't want to be the one outside of that pyramid. So the game is not about winning. It's about not trying to not be the loser. <laughs> and if you lose, you get a pie to the face. There's a specific card to throw oh, okay. at, at the person when they, uh, when they become the fool. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but of course, the only problem is I believe there's only like three copies left in the world and will probably be sold out by the time this oh, wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> by the time this podcast comes out. Will there be plans for more or is that that's the end of the line? Not that I'm aware okay. of. <laughs> but we were chatting before. I'm really excited to have a more in-depth conversation on the podcast in the future. You and your partner, Aaron Design, I guess you said games that contain economic theories. That's right. My co-designer uh, Aaron Hanswitz. He is a professor of economics at Bethany College, West Virginia. And uh, the thing that we try to do is we have this concept called real-world mechanics, where we take a thing in economic principle that people do every day that other that, that you know when you try to teach it people are like oh this might be so complicated how can this work and we go no 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 actually it's a really simple concept here we're going to take it and we're going to put that into a board game themed around something else and then you're going to be uh, practicing economic principles without necessarily realizing that you are but you are are you will be within those systems you're tricking us to learn <laughs> uh, that's awesome i mean as as teachers especially that's what kind of what we do too we we want to trick our students into learning a little bit um but yeah awesome so if you be sure to follow along we'll hopefully have you guys on for an in-depth conversation about what you guys do with your games so absolutely. thank you thank you for your time absolutely and actually to, uh, to answer uh, to go back to your first question I now have Aaron's answer. He's okay. now texted me back on your main question. So the question was, you know, give me an example of a game that is educational. And what Aaron wants to point to is uh, a game that we are currently designing called Hoboken, which Hoboken is a, it's a city in New Jersey. But in our game, it is a game that is about uh, building hotels in the city of New Jersey. And the problem is everybody has starts off with a little bit of money, but all these building properties but nobody has enough money to build any of these buildings on their own. And so the crux of the game is that you have to form partnerships with the other players, making negotiations and making deals as to how much money you're going to, how much capital they're going to put in to getting a building built, and then how you're splitting the shares of that building as the tour as tourists come through and actually start occupying and, uh, and selling out. So 
there again, you got your you were smuggling in an economic principle about um, sharing, share and ownership and, and that sort of thing. And we're putting it into a board game that plays in an hour. And because there's a lot, because it's a negotiation game, players are just having fun, making deals, getting buildings built, but they're also working inside of an economic system. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I love negotiation games. So <laughs> again, that I mean, the other game you're talking about sounds like one I might enjoy too. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you again. Thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of the convention. And have a good PAX yourself. Yeah, thank you. Good PAX. All right, so we're here on the Expo 4 floor with Cosmos with Tom Wetzel. And it's a little bit louder than some of our former interviews, but I'm really excited to be on the floor. Um, I'm here with Cosmos Games. So, Tom, can you let me know, either give me an example of an educational game or tell me what an educational game is? Great question, and I'm actually very happy to answer that because uh, Cosmos is part of a bigger company where we have a lot of science toys and kits. So we try to focus, even our board games, on, on learning potential. And I think the best example is our game called Dimension. It's a three-dimensional puzzle game where every round new rules will come out. And it's such a great learning opportunity that we actually have on our website a curriculum that you can download and use in your classroom or with your homeschool kids, however you want. But it's, it's great because it teaches logical thinking, spatial recognition, things like that, that are, are sometimes harder to actually teach uh, without hands-on learning. And I think that one does a really great job. Right, that's really awesome. I love the that you provide the curriculum for teachers because I think myself, when I use board games, I have to think through the process of how can I apply like this game mechanic or this game in my class. So it's really cool. Um, so Cosmos is a larger company. You you do board games and other things. Do you have anything special coming out or anything recent? Oh, I mean this this is an exciting time of year because. Uh, we're preparing for 2020. We have a lot of great new things coming out. We also just released a couple things, like City Skylines is a board game that was originally a video game, like SimCity. That's a great game, but we also have a lot of like really cool things that some I can't talk about, some I can. Exit Game, that is one of our most successful games. We've got four more of those coming out. Adventure Games just joined that family this year. We have another one of those coming out. So a lot of great potential, and also as far as like science toys and kits, uh, we have some really cool stuff. Programming is really strong. That we've got uh, a couple of things going out in that. These really cool solar mini model things that kids can build. So anything science and toys. Awesome. Yeah, I taught English as a second language and. Exit games were huge for communicative-based approach where they kind of have to coordinate and talk through what they're doing. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of the con. Thanks, Dustin. Thank you for coming. All right, so we're here with Jesse with Quack or Quackalope. <laughs> you did. You leaned into it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hello, hello. So we're here with Jesse. I'm excited. First time meeting in person. We got connected through one of the board game Facebook groups. And yeah, he was the my reviewers media page, right? Yeah. Board games, reviewers, and media. And you were my, um, I was your protege as far as video content goes. You, you messaged me to pick my brains when it comes to like filming and styling and stuff like that. And I 
did a poor job at answering most of your questions, and you figured it out on your own. So. I think you did. I mean, you did really well. It helped me a lot. Like, you I helped tried. with direction with the Kickstarter video, so that was awesome. Okay. Yeah. I at least tried. Yeah, yeah. So we're here, and the question we're asking everyone is, give me an example of an educational game. Yeah, so I, I thought about this. You gave me a little bit of a heads up, so I was able to prep. Uh, and I, I think I have two. One is going to be a pretty easy on the nose, and that's going to be Wingspan. Um, super popular. Everyone listening to this is familiar with it. But there's some pieces that people maybe don't aren't quite as aware of if they haven't played the game. Every card uh, in Wingspan has a little bit of text down at the bottom that shows the region, has a little bit of the bird fact, uh, and then the beautiful artwork and everything just, I think, leans into you know ornithological studies and, and bird watching and bird books and nature. And so like that, it not only has education in it, but it has a natural bridge into that space. Another one is a game that is uh, becoming a little bit harder to get because of the popularity uh, recently. It just got into retail stores, uh, and I actually just purchased a copy up at Labyrinth in D.C., where I'm, where I'm from, and that's going to be Parks. Um, this is a trail walking game where you're taking a meeple and kind of moving two hikers down a path. But the unique thing about it is that all 52 like main cards in the, in the deck are actual you know, national parks here in the United States. And so it has beautiful displays of artwork and nature and landscapes that are places you can actually go see and visit, along with text and flavor and history around those locations. So you get a little bit of kind of history knowledge, a little bit of nature study and kind of educational knowledge there. But it also, I think the biggest thing those two games do is they inspire you to explore the world more. So if I sit down at a table and I play a good game like Parks or Wingspan, and I enjoy it, they bridge the gap from kind of being at my desk to actually wanting to go see, you know, the Grand Canyon or the Great Smokies or something like that. Right. Yeah. I saw parks. They have it at Barnes and Noble too, I think now. Um, I think you made that on my list. I might've just added it to my list to pick up while I'm here. If it's, if it's here, I was skeptical of it because when it first came out, I thought it was a very pretty postcard game. The artwork's gorgeous, and it got in the way of me looking at the gameplay mechanics, right? Because right. I thought, it's national parks. Yeah, How yeah. good could the gameplay be? Right. The gameplay's solid. It is, it is a really, really interesting like hiking and progression game. There's some really, really good strategy in it. And the store owner that I actually bought it from, Kathleen at Labyrinth, it's her second game of the year, like her, her second favorite. So it's worth, it's worth paying attention to. Okay. I'll definitely check that out. And since you're here, can you tell us more about what you do with Quaklo? We produce super high-quality video production. So we have worked in commercial videography for about eight years now. Um, I'm bridging that in. Quackalope is one year, one year old now, kind of at this convention. And so over the last year, we've done our very best to produce as high-quality board game content as we can. That's gameplay unboxings, reviews, you know, documentary videos. Um, a whole mix, and we're going to be around for quite a while. Awesome. I'm looking forward to more of your content and more of your videos. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here, and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. I know I'm, you're a busy guy here. I'm glad I got to meet you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I finally <laughs> meet a person. All right, thank you again. So I'm here with Jessica outside the, I can never say this word right, Leviathan Theater, and she just did a panel about the game design resources that changed her life. But I'm going to start off with a question, and we're asking everyone this question. Can you give me an example of an educational game 
I think Undertale is an education game because it, it teaches people that actions have consequences. Um, it is a game where the choices that you make, whether or not to be violent in the game, will come into play all throughout the game. And you can play as a pacifist if you want to, and if you break that pacifism at any point, the game will remember. You can close the game, and you can erase it, and you can put it back on your computer, and it's going to remember. You can close the game out and start a new game, and it's going to remember. And it will tell you at various points in the game that it remembers what you did, and that you must remember what you did. So just this idea that, that everything that we do stays with us was, I think, I think is a really important thing to remember because sometimes we think of games as, as one-offs and there's not necessarily a bridge from our experience there to the reality of our lives. And I think this game does an incredible job at educating people about the fact that there actually that bridge exists and that we have to be very conscious of the fact that our actual lives, we can't restart. There's no reload in there or save points. That's awesome. I think that's a really good lesson that a game can provide. You're here for uh, PAX Unplugged and you did a panel. And can you tell us a little bit about who you are and if you have anything coming up or anything exciting? Yeah, my name is Jessica Crean and I'm a game designer and I'm an immersive theater artist. So I create all kinds of experiences that take really complex systems and try to turn them into playful things like chaos theory and philosophy. Um, so I have tabletop, I have an infinite tabletop game called Schrodinger's Cat that can be played between five minutes and the, beyond the natural lifespan of the players. And I have a show running in New York right now called Chaos Theory that takes a bunch of aspects of chaos theory, the science and the math of it, like fractals and strange attractors and the butterfly effect and turns them into games. And then that gets wrapped up in a narrative. And so the, the whole thing isn't this experience, this theatrical experience where players are playing these multiplayer social games. That's really cool. I think uh, those are some great games that can be educational too. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the con. Thank you. All right, so I'm back on the convention floor, and we have Daniel here. He is a teacher outside of Chester County, or in Chester County. In Chester County, he teaches ELA, but elementary level. So awesome to be here. Good to meet in person. We kind of communicated online a little bit. Daniel, can you tell us your favorite educational game? Uh, it's nice to meet you, too, as well. Um, last year, I do a social studies unit with my students, and there is a game that's online-based through the New York Public Library and the New York Department of Education. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure game that students can play independently, but they can also, I played as an entire class. So my students learn the history of the Boston Massacre, taking on the role of a child that was involved in the event. And so they got to make adventure, they got to make choices about what happened with that character. Plus it's full of lots of uh, primary source background information. So we got to talk about a lot of the actual people that were involved in real life. So they got to dive deep into the history. They really enjoyed it, but they played everything through a game and through a choose your own adventure where they got to go back and play it again and play it differently. But they still got the information and the content out of it. But it was up to them how they want to go and at what pace they want to do it. So that was a fantastic game that I plan on doing it again this year. That's really awesome. I mean, coming here, my idea was to come as an educator's perspective, and it's really cool because Talking to people, I get to know about more resources and more games that are out there. Awesome. So you're here, you traveled in from Chester County a little bit. What, um, what are you doing here at the PAX? How are you enjoying it? What's going on? I'm here demoing for a company. 
Um, but most of the time, I just I, I like demoing because I get to meet so many people and then just share the joy of playing games with those people. And you get to see a lot of those aha movements that you look for in the classroom as a teacher. And I just like I play competitive games and you get to see people that don't really want to play a game. And then when they start getting points or they look like they're going to win, they'll take risk. That's something we want students to do as well. So it's fun to just watch that. And then I enjoy just getting to meet people and after you play something, just sit there and kind of talk about what happened and what the experience was you get out of the game. So. Yeah, that's what, that's what this convention is all about, right? I love the comparison between students and games. That's, that's really great. Um, well, thank you for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the con. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. All right, so we're back in the hotel, <laughs> bed to bed here on the on the microphones, and we are, or we want to recap what we kind of experienced with Pax Unplugged so far, and talk about some responses we got to the question, what is your favorite educational game? So Dave, what is your favorite educational game? So my favorite educational game takes me way back to high school and I was taking a class called, uh, I think it was computer skills at the time. And it was just basic like word processing, uh, Excel spreadsheets, uh, and typing, keyboarding. And we played this game in class called uh, Typing of the Dead. And uh, for those listening, if you've never played House of the Dead, it is a um, arcade shooter. It's one of those big arcade cabinet games where you have like two plastic like pistols and you basically have to just shoot zombies typing of the dead which i think was like an unlicensed copy of it <laughs> was basically the same thing it's the same game only instead of two um pistols you played at your your home computer and the two characters in the game had typewriters and <laughs> zombies would come and try to attack you and in order to shoot them and stop them you had to type out a full sentence at speed so the beginning of the game was really short sentences, and as the game went on, you had to type longer and longer sentences with punctuation and, and paragraph breaks and all that. So that was my favorite and best-remembered educational game. How old were you when you played that? Oh, I was in high school, so I, I think uh, I was okay. between 13 and 17, I guess. If you're a little younger, it might scar you for yeah, a little zombies younger. or typing. Well, I mean, I think you also have to remember these are like really, really low-res polygon zombies uh, yeah. at the time. I mean... <laughs> It it still made me panic because I didn't want to get eaten by zombies. I had to right. keep, you know, typing the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy log a bunch of times in order to stop zombies from eating me. That'd be a fun, I guess, conversation about uh, how some games induce anxiety and whether that's a yeah positive tool for learning or not. Well, I think that. So I wrote about flow state before, and I think one of the most apt descriptions for flow state, and for those listening, if you don't know what flow state is, it's um, at a point where you're playing a game when you become super engaged, where you kind of forget like the amount of time that's passed. Uh, and it was best described as flow state is a, uh, an area right in between anxiety and boredom. So if you're way too anxious, you're not going to enjoy the game. If you're way too bored, like it's too easy, you're not going to enjoy it. Flow state is right in that sweet spot in between, and it's very hard to design for, but if you do hit it, it's uh, great for user and player engagement. Good spot. I, I feel like I, I'm in the flow state with a lot of board games. I play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a great feeling, and I think that's why a lot of people play the games that they do because of that flow state feeling. Right. Yeah. right. So we came to the show together, and we're both, we both have an educational background, so experiencing the show as educators 
at least for me, because in Taiwan, when I went to some of the conventions, it was hard because the language barrier. Mm -hmm. um, but here, it's been so cool to hear about others' experiences with games and education. And also just to kind of walk around the expo floor, I kind of feel my brain firing in ways that uh, kind of stimulate it to think about how some games or how some, I guess, experiences can be delivered in my classes. But what about you? Did anything stick out to you as far as like an experience or a game that you see as having a lot of learning potential? I think uh, one of the things that I want to explore is uh, my colleague Scott is here. He's running the Helios Mega Game slash Escape Room. And I had written before about the differences between uh, simulations and serious games and games and game-space learning. And I think that Mega Games have really great educational potential. Scott would actually be a good interview for the show since he has an academic background as well. Uh, but for those listening, if you've never experienced a Mega Game, uh, what it is basically is it's a like a live game that you play. It's very similar to a tabletop game, but you play in a group. So like Dustin and I would be part of a team of like ten people, and um, on our team. Each one is a different role, and each role plays like a different game. Like when I helped Scott before this mega game, I was a game master for part of a game where I was in control of the quote-unquote map table. And at the map table, the players there are from different teams, but they're all considered the general. And at the map table, you're just playing an area control game like Risk. But some of the resources that influence your table come from your other teammates from other tables. Like there's one called the high table which is uh, you're playing a negotiation game with other players. And there's one called the stock floor, where you're playing a stock trading game with other players. But all of these different tables interact with each other. And I think it's really great from an educational standpoint of showing how different systems uh, work with each other in a, in um integrated but also complex way. So I think we'll see more mega games being used as simulations for uh, teaching and learning in the future. Right. It, it seems like it has a lot of potential in that specific setting mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in the larger classroom too. All right, so we had some questions about some educational games, some favorites, and we heard that you were around for one of the interviews, and I wasn't familiar with her game. Yeah, me neither. This so, is uh, Jessica Crean's uh, response. Yeah, um, but it sounds really cool, and mm -hmm. she didn't want to give away too much to spoil it. Yeah, because I think it was heavily narrative or story-driven based game. Yeah, right. so we don't know. It's hard because we don't know anything about that game. Jessica couldn't tell us a whole lot because she didn't want to spoil it. But um, when you listen to her interview later, you'll know more, more about it. Yeah, and it's super interesting, too, to hear the different responses. And likely I will edit out some long thoughts and pauses because I think the question stumps people because they want to provide a really, really solid example. And it's interesting, too, I think the process of defining an educational game is something that's going on in their brain to give an answer yeah um so it's really interesting i think one student or one student <laughs> one one uh i guess interviewee or guest on the show had said that any game can be educational mm -hmm. i'm not sure if we got that in recording but um i think that's really important it's just really up to left up to interpretation in a way i think that's true uh really you can use a lot of different games to reach a lot of different learning outcomes depending on what you you are trying to teach and who you are trying to teach. So, um, like, I've used tic-tac-toe as an example in the past because tic-tac-toe can be used as, as an example of a very elementary game, but also a solved game. If you mm -hmm. know the, the strategy behind tic-tac-toe, you can win every game if you get to go first. Right. So, yeah. I think it all comes down to that 
what are the learning outcomes, right? What are the learning <laughs> outcomes and how do you design around it? Right. Exactly. Awesome. So let's let's get to some more interviews and hopefully we'll catch up one last time before you drive up to back to New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Back north. <laughs> All right. All right, so I'm here at North Star Games with Scott Wrencher. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to him about some games he has with the North Star Games. Uh, before we get there, we might hear a game. We might hear one of his games. So what is your favorite educational game? <laughs> I know, it sounds so well like a company man to name your own game. Uh, but I'd, I'd have to go with the game we've been working on for the last few years, Evolution is the name of the game. Uh, it basically replicates the process of natural selection and action. It was developed between a biologist and a pro magic player. So I really enjoy it because it's an educational game and it replicates the processes really well, but it's also really fun. <laughs> and it was developed as a fun, you know, as a strategy game first. And the education is just so deeply ingrained in it because it's just part of the play of the game. You know, so you naturally learn as it happens instead of kind of having it pushed on you, which I really like. Right, I think as teachers we love, we love that. <laughs> I didn't know the history that it was uh, designed by uh, Magic, you said player? Yeah. And Magic player, which is a card game, and his goal was to bring some of that fun of like having traits and adding traits to your creature, but making a lot more accessible game. And he partnered with a biologist who really wanted to say, "Hey, this is one of the most amazing processes of life, right? Is adapting to things. We all face times we adapt." He's like, "This is the story of life: adapting to a changing environment. How can we replicate that in a game?" And so the core of the game is you got your little species, and you got to go feed him. But the catch is that your opponents can manipulate the environment and control how much food is going into the environment. You can manipulate it too. So you're trying to adapt your guy so it's best adapted to where the environment is going. And then you can do other, you know, so you're, you're trying to figure out what they're, what they're going to do. You're trying to figure out where the environment's going. And you can also adapt like into a carnivore and go eat your opponents. You can only eat meat, but it's kind of risky because then you can't eat plant food. So sometimes you'll adapt into a carnivore, your opponent will protect themselves, they'll adapt like a hard shell that gives them protection from predators, and then your carnivore goes hungry because there's all this plant food sitting there in the watering hole that you can't eat. Um, and that's, that's one of the really fun aspects of the game, is it's just, you'll think you're doing really well, you're going a certain direction, and then suddenly the environment changes, and you're like, oh man, I wasn't prepared for this. And it's a complete, like, half your species get wiped out and you gotta go a different direction. Right, you were sharing with me that you are also releasing it on Steam, or it's on Steam now? Yeah, we have it on Steam and on iPad right now. We're actually making an education-specific version of it. Uh, we got really excited. Nature Magazine over in the UK just called it the best example of evolution in a game. They really like that it, uh, it's not a progression. You, know? you don't start off as a little tadpole and then become a frog and then become a monkey. Instead, you adapt your species, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and your species goes extinct. But if it works, then it continues on. And they said this mirrors the real process of evolution, that there's tons of different chains and some of them worked out. And so after we got that, we've had a lot of biology professors come to us, so we want to make a version specific for educators. So we're going to do a few things specific for educators in this new version. We've put a lot of examples of our traits in real life. Um, for example, like pack hunting. We've put examples in there of like lions, how they do pack hunting. They have a center, they have wings that go flush the traits and flush it back into the center, things like that. So as you play the game, the, uh, the interstitials in between the games show examples of that trait in nature, uh, which is kind of fun. And then there's a couple other things that make it a little friendly for teachers, easy to switch accounts between students. Uh, we're taking out chat to make it a little safer, those kind of things. 
Really cool. So if a teacher wanted to keep up to date with your company, is there a way they can do that or anything else exciting that you're working on? You bet. Um, our website for the board game is northstargames.com. The website for the video game is Evolution Video Game. And there they can see, um, that's probably the best way to see all of our games. We do have a line of uh, games targeted at kids' education called Happy Planet. And it's got a lot of fun interactive games. They're pretty quick and fun to play. There's uh, Happy Salmon. It's just kind of a fun interactive icebreaker game. There's another game recently that's been picked up by a number of therapists um, working on kids with autism called Dude, where you say dude different. The game is just like, you have to say dude different ways and match up based on how you're saying dude, like dude, dude, dude. You know, anyway, but yeah, Therapist has found it's really good for helping uh, kids on the autistic spectrum recognize facial expressions and uh, intonation from other people. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's uh, some really great things to keep looking out for, and I'm sure that'll help some teachers out there listening. So thank you again for your time, and enjoy the last hour maybe of the show. I know. We're in the home stretch here. Yeah. Yeah, we got to go home and get back to work. We're hoping to have this education version out in about January. Um, and it's going to pair with, we do have a, uh, a streamlined version of the game as well that kind of tends to play better for kids under the age of 12, called The Beginning. And both of those, I think, are a little more better suited for the education segment. There, yeah. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Awesome, I'm here with Tabitha. She was just demoing games at Pandasaurus. So I have a question for you. What is your favorite educational game? Well, first I want to preface this by saying I am actually an English teacher. But the game that I'm going to say is one of my favorite educational games is actually the game Subatomic, which is a science game. But uh, it it is fun and I got it for my kids because it teaches them about how actually things are put together in science and then also bonus points you get to learn about scientists from the game. Awesome I haven't had a chance to play that but I'm familiar with Genius Games the company that's really cool. So how are you enjoying the con so far and what's what's been the highlight I guess? Um, Well first of all I've been I went to PAX Unplugged last year and I was just a, a normal con goer so this year I was offered the opportunity to to be an exhibitor and demo games and so I think one thing that I've really liked about being an exhibitor is being able to show people how to play games that's one of my favorite parts of gameplay is like teacher here here's the rules here's how to play so that's like been a highlight for me because now I know these games at Pandasaurus like in and out. Awesome I know at least maybe you can speak to this too in my experience as a teacher I love coming to these types of events because my brain just fires in ways that I think I could use these games in class or in educational settings. And you said you had kids too. Does that kind of work for you as well when you're here? Uh, Absolutely. So um, over, I'm going to use Pandasaurus again. Um, Over at Pandasaurus, there's a puzzle game. And uh, I have two kids, a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. And my daughter uh, is the 13-year-old. She loves anything that has to deal with putting stuff together. So Legos, engineering. And so one of the cool things is being able to come and see like what games fit with the way that, that different kids think and how I can utilize that, not just at home, but in the classroom. Like how can I get them to expand the way that they see things and to use different perspectives and to think outside the box. Right, awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time and enjoy the last like 30 minutes of the show. Yep. Thank you so much.
All right, wow. We're done. <laughs> it's Sunday. It's Sunday evening right now. Yeah, it was it was good because I woke up I woke up today feeling a lot better mm-hmm. than the previous two days. So I feel like I actually got a PAX experience. Yep. Today. Yeah. The other couple of days, I feel like I was just surviving the. This was your first 100 percent day. Yeah. yeah. Well, 95 percent maybe. Yeah. But, but I was better than the previous two days. Right. <laughs> well, you were here last year, and mm-hmm. what would you say? Different experience this time around? So I think that this time uh, the PAX organizers have really put a lot more emphasis on the open play areas. So one of the first things I noticed this year that was different was in addition to the open play areas, there were also round tables set up specifically for social games. There are some tabletop games that are better played on like a rectangular table, but I played at least one social game where having that circular table set up, so making sure that those tables are available for those types of games was great. Uh, I thought the expo floor was great, again, uh, as it was. Um, Compared to previous years, the con had been kind of split up from uh, open tabletop play in the expo hall and miniatures and wargaming and tournaments. This year it was all on the same level as the expo hall, but the things that were broken up and away from the main activity was the theaters, the escape room, uh, the mega games, and Unpub, um, the the collaboratory, which was away from us. So I kind of wish that wasn't so far, but each year the layout kind of changes, but I'm pretty happy with Pax and Plug 2019. Yeah, I think it's been good. I spent, I mean, it's hard because I feel like my first experience has been a little bit different because I was sick, and I didn't get as much out of it as I would have hoped, but I spent probably 80% of my time in that main hall with the free play, first look, uh, all the exhibitors and all their games and what's coming out. I wish I would have had more time and kind of made more considerations to go to the, some of the panels. We did see uh, Jessica's panel who was interviewed on the episode. So yeah, I think that was the only panel that we went to together. I went to a separate panel on crowdfunding and Kickstarter campaigns. But other than that, we did a lot of walking around the expo floor, a lot of playing games. So that's really what I come here for. It's nice to also be networking, but I go to a lot of panels at other conferences, so I'm not sad that I missed a bunch here. Right, and I think one thing that you mentioned networking, one thing I wish was here for educators is a bigger, like just a a strong space for educators to network, and that is easy, kind of like, that's that's the place you go if you are an educator and you want to meet other teachers using games and learning. At least for me, when I've walked around, I've really loved watching or looking at different games and thinking about considerations on how we could use it in class. Um, we played one and we were talking about this at lunch. So we're doomed. And I think I mentioned standalone, that game's not the best language game, but I really could see it adapted in a way that could be used for language learning. Um, but you'd have to add some modifications. But I think for me, that's like one big thing is I go to these events and I think about how can these games be used in an educational setting. Well, since this is your first PAX, you'll see that in the weeks coming, uh, the Penny Arcade or ReadPop, ReadPop is the organization that uh, administers uh, PAX events, they will send out a survey just about your experience and everything. And there's always an open comment box. So this year, I'll write that are looking really for an exclusive space for educators that are using games, and I suggest you do the same, and yeah. anyone else that you talk to. Right, yeah, yeah definitely. And also, uh, 
we can maybe just link them to this podcast episode. This is the experience that educators <laughs> educators yes. want. Yes, we'll link them to this episode. All right, Dave, thanks for being my PAX sage and yep, you're showing me around. I hope you have a safe drive up north. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, so that was our PAX Unplugged experience. If you are curious to learn more about any of the games or any of the publishers from the show, be sure to check out our show notes. You can also go to our blog, and that's boardgamewitheducation backslash unplugged 2019 You can also find the link in the show notes as well. And as always, thank you for listening, and we're excited to kick off year 2020 very soon. Stay tuned for some great things coming up with Board Game With Education. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time. <laughs>